going to enter into this service just a little bit differently than normal, a little different flow uh, for you today. Uh, so we're going to kind of walk through a text and then just have different movements throughout the service today. Just a little change of pace, uh, see how you like that. So if you don't like it, well, no problem. We'll probably do it differently next week. You just never know. Uh, so my hunch is with your uh, question of the day, um, somebody bark one uh, answer out. What's something that you hope we'd see in heaven? Just serenity. Okay. Very good. No struggling. No struggling. Yeah. Right. Anything else, Dave? Fast food, don't get <laughs> That's a great answer, man. That killed in the early service too. That's good. <laughs> no pain. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not hearing, you know, the first, this is very interesting because the first service, the first thing that came out of people's mouths were family. So your families, obviously, there's some problems there because <laughs> they're not a top of mind for you. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to walk you through some stuff uh, today in this text just to get it started. This is what we're going to be looking at. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Now, I just want to give you a little heads up on this. Uh, this is not an accident that Luke is reminding of this, um, because a very similar scene to this happened for the character of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus, where he was up on the mountaintop uh, getting the law from God, and when he started to come back down the mountain, people started freaking out when they saw him, because the glory of the Lord uh, was on his face, and they literally asked him, uh, to wear a face covering. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh, they asked him to veil his face because it was too much. So when we see Luke remembering this and offering this story, uh, it's we're immediately getting a nod. We're immediately remembering, oh, this is about Jesus, but it's about more than that. In this scene, we have an equation. We're equating now Moses and Jesus as very, very big figures. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Uh, by the way, just a little historical footnote, uh, Moses and Elijah uh, lived a very long time before Jesus, and they lived a very long time between each other. So Moses lived somewhere, I don't know, 1500-ish, 1400-ish BCE, and we've got uh, Elijah, who was more like 800-ish, somewhere in there, BCE, so very long distance between them, but now they're there together, and they're there together fast-forwarded to Jesus' day. Very peculiar. Two guys who were long dead, who never knew each other on this earth, now they're there joined with Jesus. Very significant. So they were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. As Moses and Elijah were standing to, starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, because that's what he did, uh, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is a great case in point for Peter, who just says whatever comes to mind. 
Uh, he's great at this. Uh, I think everybody named Peter struggles with this same thing. <laughs> I can attest to that. And so he's just trying to fill the silence. He doesn't know what to say. And so he's like, oh, uh, this has never happened. I've never expected anything like this before. So what, what, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And he blurts out the let's make some altars for worship for you, just because he doesn't know anything else to say. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Cloud itself is imagery from the Old Testament. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So here's this experience, a thin place. Thin place is what we refer to when it's like heaven and earth just sort of open up to each other. Uh, some of you have had thin place moments where you experience the very real presence of God uh, in your life. That's a thin place that we're talking about. Sometimes we're so distracted by life here, we don't even realize that we're actually walking in the presence of God. So that was a thin place and of great significance. Well, so the very next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, teacher, I beg you, look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. So one word of note on this is remember in antiquity, uh, whenever they would see something like this happen, they would just use one phrase for it, evil spirit. That may have been something spiritual. We don't know. It could have been a physical condition. It could have been a mental health issue. We don't know. It was sort of, sort of like leprosy was one word that was used for all manner of skin issues. So this was similar. So that's what he says. His kid's got a major problem. He's looking for help. He's asking for Jesus to help. And Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? I don't think he's like chastising here. I think he's just sort of like... That's just sort of a colloquial kind of a thing to say. Then he said to the man, bring your son here. And as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. And he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. Now, this story is very significant that it comes right after the transfiguration because the other character in that transfiguration scene was Elijah. Elijah was the most popular, most loved prophet in the Old Testament period. Elijah was known for a scene just like this, where a boy was dying, a one and only son, and he chose to heal that child. And so when readers back in the day would start to connect the dots. They're seeing someone who is looking like Moses after he's had an experience with the presence of God glowing. And now as soon as they're down the mountain, he does something much like Elijah would have done. So people and their memory are equating in terms of importance, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, you can't get any higher than that. So we'll just let that sink in. Brian's got a song for us called Born Again, and I have a hunch that this transfiguration scene that happened on the mountaintop, as well as for everybody who witnessed what happened in the valley, I think it was one of those moments where they were like, I am born again. Take it away, Brian. 
Well, today I found myself after searching all these years. And the man that I saw, he wasn't at all who I thought he'd be. I was lost when you found me here. And I was broken beyond repair. Then you came along and you sang your song over me. It feels like I'm born again. It feels like I'm living for the very first time. For the very first time in my life. Make a promise to me now. Reassure my heart somehow. That the love that I feel is so much more real than anything. I've been feeling in my soul. And I pray that I'm not wrong. That the life I have now, it is only the beginning. It feels like I'm born again. It feels like I'm living for the very first time. For the very first time. It feels like I'm breathing. Feels like I'm moving for the very first time. For the very first time. Wasn't looking for something that was more than what I had yesterday. Then you came to me and you gave to me life and love. I've never known that I've never felt before. It feels like I'm born again. It feels like I'm living for the very first time. I'm living for the first time Feels like I'm breathing Feels like I'm moving For the very first time Living for the first time Feels like I'm breathing Feels like I'm moving For the very first time Good stuff, man. So there are three major things that really hit me this week uh, that I wanted to share with you today. And there's probably going to be more things that maybe hit you. But the first thing from this transfiguration scene is just a reminder that there's more to come and that it's worth hoping for, and that it will not disappoint. The Apostle Paul says we have a hope, and that hope will not disappoint. And this is one of those examples of a holy moment, an inbreaking, a thin place. And so my question for you is, what role does hope for heaven play for you? And what do you make of what God said about Jesus? This hope for heaven, you know, part of my uh, doctoral work had to do with understanding uh, our theological place in our tradition. And really one of the things that I recognized in history was that we, we played the heaven card so much that it kind of eclipsed everything else. 
And it all became a very natural progression of things. But it, it boiled down to in the 1800s, that's when we really started to see it uh, come, was by any means necessary, pastors would lay it down to get you to say whatever you needed to say. I sometimes refer to them as the magic words, the words of faith, so that your soul would go to heaven and you would know it. So there were streetcar preachers, and they would sometimes literally fight, wrestle for who got to be the preacher that day. Thank God those days are over, right? I'd never be preaching, so maybe you should think about that. Well, anyway, uh, and they realized that they're preaching in the Wild West. And so when they're saying, you might die today, are you ready to go to heaven? They kind of meant it, <laughs> because that really could happen uh, for some of the people that they were talking to. Well, that fear of, uh-oh, I better get my stuff together, was so powerful that it really stuck. And it created an entire movement of Christianity that is still with us today. So some of you, I imagine, uh, came to faith because uh, some level of fear about afterlife was presented to you and a solution to that. The love of God as expressed in Jesus Christ was also presented to you. And the problem is still today is that when that becomes the primary focus, we forget a whole lot of other things. So I just wanted to say that before I say that this more of something more to come really is important, and it really gives us hope. You know, Jesus, uh, with his disciples in the Gospel of John, he said, you know, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Uh, and if I'm going away to prepare a place for you, it means I'm coming back to get you, to take you to be with me where I am. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. The, the question I had for you today about what do you hope will be, hope it will be like in heaven? The way you and I answer that, and anybody answers that, is directly related to your place and time and context. You and I come up with images. We have idea about what the ideal scene would look like. And in American context, I've heard this, variations of this many times, because I'm a pastor and I've done a whole lot of memorial services. And I'll hear people talk about their loved one who's gone on and that they'll finally be in the great golf course, you know, in the sky. And he's, he's playing golf right now because he has a house right on, you know, the ninth hole or something like that. Or if the guy's a fisherman, now he's finally got his, you know, Bass Pro dream come true and he's got his own fishing boat and he's there all day and catching catfish or whatever he's shooting for, all that. That's sort of the imagery that we have. Or you hear about, man, I... I had to live in kind of a small place now, but boy, in heaven, I'm going to get my own mansion. That's, that's kind of the picture. And it's going to be on an oceanfront uh, property because I could never afford that. And, and we're going to have Denali right in back of me somehow because it's heaven and stuff like that can happen. So we have all these images and they're related to um, what we value in our culture as having made it. But back in Jesus' day, it was a little bit different. And his day, it was, the dream was that the family, the family would be together. So when Jesus talks about his father's house with many rooms, it's because in their imagery, the biggest dream come true would be the patriarch of the family just kept adding on to his compound to make room for you because you mattered and he wanted you there. This massive sprawling thing where we could all be together. That's the ancient view of it. For both of us in our respective cultures, it was still heaven. It communicated our highest hopes. I've been with many people 
in their last chapters. And one of the things that I've said uh, to people, as we both know, uh, that they don't have long to live in this world. As I ask them, what are you, what are you thinking you know, might be next? What are you hoping for? And they'll give me lots of different images about what they hope it will be and who they'll see and they're very common things that we all want. And after they're done, I just simply say, the best possible dream you can have, whatever heaven is going to be, is going to be exponentially better than that. Because we can't imagine what it would be like to be in that kind of full presence of God, unencumbered by all that this life gives us. And that gives us great hope that this life isn't just flesh and bones, but there's more going on and the more is worth hoping for. For some people, maybe you uh, right now today, uh, for some people that is a lifesaver uh, because they are going through such torment right now that just knowing that someday the pain and the suffering and the struggle will end gives them great hope. American slavery uh, was, uh, was struggle. And some of the great uh, spirituals that were born out of American slavery, played one last week, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. That's an American slave song. Why was that born out of their experience? Because their experience here as slaves was absolute hell. And sometimes the best you got is to look forward to the day when that suffering is going to be alleviated. The hope of more to come is incredibly powerful. And Jesus is one who lived his life in, in such a way uh, that gave people confidence that God was actually working in his life. So when he said things like he did, people actually believed it and they had hope in him. This, by the way, was a very, very important moment for the disciples because not long after this experience where they witnessed Jesus and Moses and Elijah, a reunion of sorts, uh, he was going to go through his own trial and the disciples were going to be dragged right into it too as they watched Jesus get arrested falsely, beaten within an inch of his life, tried falsely, and eventually ex executed by the worst form of, of capital punishment uh, that was possible in the Roman Empire. They watched all that. And as they watched it unfold, certainly they wondered, is God still with us in this thing? And yet they remembered what they just went through. They remembered that Jesus had warned them that this was coming. And they sure hoped for what was next. So I just want you to breathe deep on that that there's hope to be had. It doesn't discount the pain or the life that we have. Well, that's coming uh, the, the rest of the service. But we can have hope that God is good, that God is love, and that God's communication through Jesus is. It is a hope that will not disappoint. Right. Change will come, change is here, 
So the next thing that really hit me with this text has to do with our aloneness. And what I see here on this mountaintop and then in the valley as well is that we're not alone, uh, that God is with us always, that we have each other uh, for mutual support. And then these questions, how does not being alone affect your outlook? How have you experienced God's company? How have you experienced community support? And finally, how have you given support to others? When we are highly stressed, when we are under it, when we're really going through it, and it could be any kind of stressor, it could be a work stress, it could be a relationship stress, it could be a health stress. Oftentimes in my experience, when I've walked with people through these kinds of things, it becomes a very lonely space where the person feels really, really alone. Uh, the uh, prophet Elijah, interestingly, right after a showdown with the prophets of Baal, where God prevailed in an incredibly powerful manner, he was terrified because Queen Jezebel put a price on his head. And instead of trusting that God was going to be with him just as much as God had already been with him, uh, he ran as fast as he could up to the top of a holy mountain, hoping to find 
the defenses of God intact. While he's hanging out in the cave, he senses God saying to him, come outside because the Lord's going to pass by. And he goes out and all manner of uh, weather experiences are happening. Wind, thunder, lightning, ground shaking, all this stuff is happening. But after each display, the scripture says, but God was not in the wind or the, or the lightning or, or what have you. And then Elijah heard the still small voice of God. The actual Hebrew language is Elijah met God and heard God in the sound of silence. It's really interesting. We're never, ever alone. In that thin place on the top of the mountain, the disciples realized, along with Jesus, just how close they had always been to God. There was no denying it up there. They could see it in front of their faces. They were experiencing something that was just profoundly other, profoundly more uh, than your normal everyday kind of life experience. And it had to have stuck with them. And as they came down the mountain and went into the valley, I wondered if they, if they longed in their heart to say, boy, I sure wish we could take a little God with us, <laughs> only to find out that God came down the mountain with them because God was already there. And see Jesus be a conduit of the healing spirit of God on this poor child, bringing life to the child and hope to the son or to the father and everybody else who is there. Everybody had a thin place who was around that. But it wasn't just that they realized that God was with them. They recognized that they were there together, and that would be really important. If Jesus had just dragged Peter up there, and all this happened, and Jesus' life went on, and they came down the mountain together, Peter would remember it pretty well, but chances are he'd kind of forget over time. The details would get fuzzy, and the experience itself would lose its power. But because he was there with a couple of others, they could remind each other when they were getting a little shaky. And one of them could say, hey, Peter, you, we saw this, right? This, this was legit. Because it's important sometimes for us to hear from other people that we're not alone, that we're experiencing things together that are powerful, especially when it's really bad. Because things were going to get really bad for Jesus. And it was important for the disciples to be able to say to each other, we knew this was coming. He told us. It doesn't mean God has left. God is with us all the time. But this loneliness and the sense of alone and despair is still so common. And maybe that's where you are today. You know, I've walked with many people through some very dark valleys. And there's always a strange irony that happens because this aloneness is so common. I'll be across the table uh, from them or I'll be taking a walk with them somewhere and just letting them talk about how they feel. And so here I am, literally with them, caring for them, supporting them, loving them, and yet out of their mouths will come the wor words, I am totally and utterly alone. It speaks to what happens when despair enters in and we forget the reality of everything around us, that we're not alone look around. You are not alone. There was a really uh, difficult article in the register this morning. I don't know if you saw it about a councilwoman, uh, city councilwoman in Calistoga, uh, who 
attempted to take her own life uh, just several weeks ago. And her story was uh, one of despair. Uh, she had COVID did its thing on her, um, and part of her coping was drinking. And her drinking increased to the point where her marriage was in trouble. And economic things caused her to shut down her successful marketing business. And she talks about how she sobbed when she had to leave her office because she couldn't make rent anymore. It was all just falling apart. Marriage was strained. And she began to drink even more. And she doesn't even remember past putting in a movie for her four-year-old son to watch uh, while she drank through a bottle of wine and somehow ended up on a dead-end road. And they were able to find her. She doesn't remember anything of what happened after that. She shared her story with the hopes that people would take mental health very, very seriously. So what I want to say to you, knowing that this is very real, uh, that, that the stress that we're under, and this week has been extra bad uh, because of what's happening in Ukraine, you cannot not feel the weight of what's happening in our world. And I just want to say again to you, you are not alone. God is with you. I am with you. We are with us in this space. You are not alone. We may say to ourselves, I am too weak. I can't get through. But God is saying different things to us. And uh, Brian's got a song that he's put his own twist on that says exactly that. Keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Ooh, you see I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. Oh, I believe. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth, in you I find my identity. Ooh, you see I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong 
When I think I am weak, you say I am held. When I am falling short, when I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. Oh, I believe. stuff man so given what we've come through so far our hope of heaven our reality of not being alone and not being alone here together as well just want to spend a moment uh, in meditation and prayer uh, to help us just be more fully present to own our not aloneness and see where it might take us so if you get comfortable just close your eyes with me just to help you focus and just take some slow, deep breaths, just over and over again. And just acknowledge the weight of the world that you've brought in with you today. It may have shown up in your shoulders so you can let those rest. It may be in your core muscles, so you can let that rest. It may be in your face muscles. You can relax. Let it go. We are in the presence of God together. We are in the presence of God here, now together. We let go of um, our thoughts that just seem to be on constant replay in our minds. The running squirrel on the hamster wheel. <laughs> we just let it stop. 
to be here now. The anxiety that we feel, the grief, the anger, the frustration. We lay it all out before God, letting it go. And even our highest hopes and joys, we also lay that out. That we might not miss what God is doing in our midst here. If you have any prayer requests, offer them now in silent prayer to God, knowing that God hears you, is present, responds to you, loves you. Maybe you know somebody like I do that is heading into a new, exciting chapter of their life. And you want the best for them, so you're praying the best for them. And so, God, we ask that as they go into this new, wonderful chapter, that they'll keep an ear and an eye open for you. That they'll recognize that you're nudging constantly in good directions to lead them forward into greater health, greater life more meaningful experiences. And so we ask that you, you do that in easily recognized ways for them and that these people that we love and we're so excited for and with, uh, that they'll know they're not alone. You're with them every step of the way and that they'll look to you uh, for guidance, even in their joy when they think they've got everything going with them. May at that moment, they continue to look for your work in their lives and your leading for you lead to the wholeness of life, salvation itself, life itself. Crosswalk, maybe you know somebody like I do that is struggling with deep, deep grief and loss and all of the emotions that go with that. God, may you be with them in a very close-up personal way that they would know that they're not alone. They don't have to get through this alone, that you are giving them strength that they don't even know you're doing yet, that you are already all around them, and that you long to speak hope into their lives. You long to say to them, this won't be forever. Your pain will subside. There is hope to come that will not disappoint. We'll get through this together. God, may they know all of these things to be true. May they be free to express the full range of emotion, no matter how, how awkward that may be for them. Help them, Lord, to get it out of their system. Help them to reach out for help as necessary. 
because we're not meant to do this journey alone. And Crosswalk, I'm sure that your hearts are heavy because of the anti-Semitic flyers that went out here in Napa just this past week. I grieve for my brother, Rabbi Niles Goldstein, as once again, he's having to deal with this and uh, uphold his congregation at the same time. I pray for his strength, his capacity, congregation Beth Shalom's capacity uh, to move forward in strength and to know that whatever words of hate were written, they do not communicate your feelings, your love for them, your hope for them, your call for them. So may they sense your comfort and your peace. And the ones behind the flyers, we pray for them too. We pray that somehow, someway, your, your voice would speak in to shine a light on that hatred itself. God, help them unravel whatever hurt and pain they've gone through that would make them so hateful. Whatever insecurities they have that would make them try to stomp down on another entire group of people. God, shine a light. Work in the people around them in redeeming ways that they would climb out of their hatred and their racism and their anger and step into your love, your grace, and your redemption. May they have ears to hear and eyes to see. And God, we lift up the big mess of Ukraine and Russia right now. The agony, the suffering, the pain. The fear of here we go again. We pray for those who are fighting for their homeland in Ukraine. We pray those for those who left Ukraine for fear of their lives, leaving their brothers and fathers behind. Be a comfort to them, God. The Apostle Paul says that sometimes the Spirit sighs for us, groans, prayers, too deep for words. Well, that's what we're doing, God. We're not quite even sure how to pray. But I do pray that you would also come alongside Putin. And I pray that you'll come along all the side, uh, alongside everybody who influences Putin. That they would come back to consciousness and realize that the Ukrainians are no less loved by you, God, than anybody else and are deserving of being treated like it. May you work through the whole thing to bring this mess to an end. God, as we go forward, 
Help us not try to be alone. Remind us we're not an island, that we're called somewhere else toward you, toward home, toward strength, because you're with us there and you're with us every step of the way. May we hear your voice now and come a little closer. Amen. There are no streets to walk on, no maps you can rely on. Faith and guts to guide you, wander till you find you. Only raw desires, no match to give you fire. You'll have to trust your heart. They don't believe in oceans, you, you're a sailor who burned your ship and walked on far away you walked on you keep turning inland where no man is an island it's where you're supposed to be <clears throat> whoa, oh, 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 oh. whoa. No man is an island Come on home to me Afraid of your convictions They said the land will change you Steady your confessions Your course make no corrections When you are a stranger Hold your tongue and wager That love will set you free until it set you free Whoa, oh, 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 oh. Whoa, oh, 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 oh You keep walking inland Where no man is an island Come on home to me Whoa, oh, 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 oh. Whoa, oh, 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 you keep walking inland where no man is an island. Come on home to me. Just follow your desires. Leave it all, you leave it all. Just burn it in. The fire of everything you once knew, everyone that knew you. Remove the shoes you came on, feel the earth you're made from. Pack up all your questions, just keep heading inland. Come on home to me. Yeah, come on home to me. Whoa, oh, oh. walking inland where no man is an island come on home to me whoa oh 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 whoa oh 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 
walking inland where no man is an island come on home to me 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 Good stuff, man. Now you get to take a break. <laughs> Good stuff, man. All right. Had to sit up here the whole time. Just have one uh, last move uh, for you to think about uh, with this story. Uh, but to recap before, just remember, uh, we talked about how we have this confident hope that there's more uh, than just this flesh and blood. Reminds me of a story that I think many of you have heard before, but there was a saint that died in a particular church, a man that was well known uh, for uh, how faithful he was uh, throughout his whole life. He was kind of the epitome of what you think about when you think about, you know, what would a person fully devoted to Jesus look like, fully spiritually alive? What would that look like? This was that guy. And so uh, he, he had his memorial service at the church, and of course it was packed. And as everybody came into the door, uh, they were handed a, a bulletin and a fork. And they were handed this fork, uh, and everybody wondered why the fork, and they thought maybe it was early for the reception or something, everybody getting ready to eat their cake or whatever. And nobody really heard anything about it until the pastor at the very end uh, talked about it, and he says, you know, I was talking about our dearly beloved uh, friend who's passed on, and it was at his request that everybody get a fork as they came in uh, today to this service to remember him. And the reason he wanted everybody to have a fork was because he remembered throughout his life, either if he was at his grandmother's house or his mother's house for a large family dinner, especially the larger gatherings, that after the main course was done, the plates would be picked up and his grandma or his mom would say, keep your fork for the best is yet to come. It was dessert that was going to be on its way. And so he wanted everybody to have a fork to know that whatever this life brings you, good or bad or struggle or delight, the best is yet to come. And that gives us great, great hope. But the thing is, is that Jesus didn't stay in that space. He didn't stay on top of the mountain. He came down the mountain and he went in the valley. And when he went into the valley, he didn't just sit around waiting for, you know, things to happen. He got right back to what he knew he was supposed to be about. So this life here and now matters is kind of what his whole life proved. We're not called to sit and wait for heaven. We're invited to foster life here and now. And so my questions for you is what is love calling you to do in your sphere right now as you're living? And how might you be able to be a conduit of heaven where you are right now. If you ask any credible Jesus scholar, what was, and this doesn't matter if they're liberal or conservative, does not matter. You ask them, what was Jesus' primary thing that he was about? They would all tell you with one accord, he came to bring in, to usher in the kingdom of God. And Matthew, he talks about it as the kingdom of heaven. He talks about it as the kingdom of God and some of the other gospels. He talks about it as eternal life in the gospel of John, but they're all talking about the same thing. How do we bring what we believe and hope to be true of God forever into the here and now? That's what he was about and his teaching 
his ministry, his living, everything. How can I be a conduit of the Spirit of God to bring more and more of the presence of God wherever I go? Every one of us is invited to do exactly the same thing. Now, you know the kicker on this is when we actually do that, the hope of all the other things starts to come online. I can give you book after book that will help you understand intellectually the components of our faith and even different aspects within our faith about how we would have hope for anything else. And you'll get to a level of intellectual satisfaction where you believe cognitively, intellectually, that there's more to come, but it's going to be fairly lost on you unless you do something with it. It's when we open ourselves to it and actually live the life of Jesus that we experience the kingdom of God in our midst, that we feel the spirit of God coursing through our veins. We don't have to have the intellectual construct anymore about the moreness of God because we're in the moreness of God. We can see God working all around us and through us and inside of us because our focus is that way. We're not meant to hang out on the mountaintop. We're meant to go back into the valley with what we experienced on the mountaintop to help us do the things that need to be done in our world, which only add back to you. Um, we had a few people representing Crosswalk yesterday at uh, the rally in support of Congregation Best Alone. Thank you for that. Uh, I know Karen Kinney snapped some photos and put them online. And there was one um, thing, uh, chalk drawing on the sidewalk that was done, which I thought was really great. Um, it's, it didn't say hate sucks, but that's kind of what it, the implication was. Hate sucks and love feeds or something like that. That's so right. When we are focused on things that are not healthy, not good, when we listen to too much news and we get all grumpy because of the, whatever perspective we're listening to, uh, it sucks the life out of us. But when we give ourselves to love, when we give ourselves to loving service to other people around us, it's like we've tapped a source that never, ever runs dry. So long as we remember, that's what we're about. There's a person I want to introduce you to uh, this morning on the next slide. I've been trying to give you a character uh, every day. There she is. This is Rebecca Lee Crumpler. She was born in 1831 and lived all the way to 1895. She was raised by her aunt in a northern free state, so she had relative freedom. Uh, her aunt uh, was sort of the neighborhood medical professional, even though how much medical training she had is, we don't really know. It's probably not all that much. Uh, but she knew a thing or two that she picked up. And so anytime in this completely black neighborhood uh, where Rebecca grew up, if anybody had any kind of ailment, they went to Rebecca's aunt. So Rebecca saw this before her eyes, and it caused her to want to be a nurse. So she went to nursing school and was a nurse from 1855 to 1864. The reason she stopped being a nurse in 1864 is because that's when she graduated with her medical degree. She was the first African-American female doctor in the United States, which is remarkable. Uh, she was the first African-American female uh, to be admitted into the medical school. You might think, gosh, how is it that that's possible when there are so many African-Americans already uh, in the land? Well, think about our timeline here. Uh, she's sneaking up right on uh, the Civil War here. Uh, they need more doctors. And so they were more than willing uh, to bring her on board uh, because of the circumstances that were there. Kind of reminds me of World War II. 
when so many men were overseas fighting women, I mean, that was really a huge uh, thrust for, for women's equality in our country because all of a sudden they were doing the jobs uh, that men used to do and doing them well. And it gave us a look at what that could look like. Uh, this was a similar kind of circumstance for her. Uh, the thing that I find so fascinating is she could have just stayed right where she was in a northern free state after she got her medical degree. But she chose to go back into Richmond, Virginia, where some of the worst bloodshed needed to be addressed. She chose to leave a free northern state and go into a southern state, the state that had the most slaves of any other state, she chose to risk going there so that she could serve and save lives. And uh, the accounts that we have of it, um, she didn't really think about the financial burden, <laughs> didn't even really wonder about how are we going to make this happen. She just knew she had to go, and she did. Now, you may not be uh, in the medical profession. Maybe you are, and so maybe you can resonate with her heart. But even if you're not, you're amazing, and you are unique. There's nobody like you on the planet, and there never, ever will be a mix like you. Of your genetic code, your history, your context, your way of seeing the world, your giftedness, your history, your experience, there is no one like you, and there never will be another one like you. And you are called by God. You're, you're invited by God. You get to do something amazing if you'll hear the invitation and say yes. You get to use all of you, dialing into your truest self and allowing all that has made up you with the Spirit of God, and you get to be used of God in profound ways if you'll have it. Because that's the arc of the story. There may have been a really cool thing that happened on the mountaintop, but the story didn't stay there. Jesus came down with the disciples to get right back into the thing that Jesus was uniquely crafted to do. And so are you. And so am I. So are we together. May it be so for you. May you sense what a gift this is. That in a world of Ukraines, in a world of anti-Semitism, in a world of racism, in a world of all kinds of other isms that we wish could go away, you are invited by God to be love in the world and to help take just a little piece of it down at a time. You get to do that. You are not alone. The well cannot run dry. You are invited. You are called. You have the stamp of approval on God to do it. So let's do it together. To that end, uh, we have a prayer that we've been ending these services with for a while. I invite you to stand with me. And let's close on this. This is an interpretation of the Lord's Prayer written by a guy named Jim Cotter. So let's say it out loud together. Eternal Spirit, Earth Maker, Pain Bearer, Life Giver, source of all this is and that shall be, Father and Mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope 
and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love now and forever. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Hope you had a good experience. We'll see you next week.